Father God in heaven, thank you. Thank you for this sweet time of worship. Lord, it's more than just singing songs. It's having intimacy with you through our worship to you, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the Lord of glory. And Lord, your Holy Spirit is here because your word says that you are here and we believe that you are here. God, fill our hearts. Renew our hearts. Bring conviction to our hearts. Work on our hearts this morning, Lord. Work on us, God. We pray this in Jesus' name. By the power of the Holy Spirit that's working in our midst, and by the power and the authority of your word, work on our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You may have a seat. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. And George, no, not George, maybe Andy. See if anybody's got a Bible. Hey, Paul's not here. Paul and Pat had to travel to New York. We got quite a few families that are out that are traveling across the southeast. But does anybody need a Bible? Okay. All righty. This morning, please turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 10, and this morning, we're going to finish up 1 Timothy. And the, the title of my message this morning is Flee, Follow, and Fight. Flee, Follow, and Fight. What are some things worth fighting for? What are some things that are worth fighting for? Our marriage, our family. You know, everybody in the world has something that they fight for. I remember 1986 in the ninth grade in high school. I'm, I'm going to say this from a sermon. I'm going to say it. But in 1986, one of my favorite songs was a song by Beastie Boys. And it was, you got to fight for your right to party. Okay? I don't agree with it, but I'm just being transparent with you. That was one of my high school songs. And then later on in high school, when I f- found the love of my life, or at least I thought I did, it was Peter Cetera, and a fighting for what? The glory of love. <laughs> but there's something that every human being fights for. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, whether you're old or young, there's something that all people fight for. This past Monday, I, I went hunting. Me and, me and Emily went and sat in a deer stand and had my uh, 243 rifle. Actually, it wasn't mine. It was my buddy's. But I zeroed it a couple years ago, okay? Let me say that first. I zeroed it a couple years ago, and it was zeroed. And so we're sitting there in the deer stand, and all of a sudden this deer comes out. I was like, Emily, 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 look, 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 deer, deer. I got the gun. I put the crosshairs on him. Pow! What does he do? He goes trotting off. I was like, man, I was so upset. It wasn't 20 seconds later. Another deer comes out. Oh, look, there's another one. Pow! I missed him again. And guess what this, guess what this deer does? He stays put. He starts, he starts wagging his tail, says, hey, I'll turn sideways. I'll give you a nice shot. See if you can try it again. I was like, oh, no, he didn't. Pow! Guess what? I missed. I was dejected. I left there remorseful. The very next day, I went to a Sportsman's Classic. I zeroed that rifle again, and I said, I'm going back down there for Buck and Bambi. 
And we, we, we were pursuing. We were all out. We were going to do this thing. Went down there the next night. We didn't get a deer, but I got a 250-pound hog. That's at the processor right now with some, with some bacon and pork chops on the way home. But I was adamant that I was going to hunt. We, we, me and Emily, our hearts and minds are set. We are gonna, we're going to fill the freezer up this year with some deer meat. But we were, we're focused. It's our, it's our goal. But that's the, that's the thing that I guess you kind of say we were willing to fight for. We, we're going to go and we're going to go hunting. And we're going to um, fill our freezer up with some, with some meat. But the point of that, point of me mentioning that, and the other things I mentioned is we all fight for something. What do you fight for? What do you fight for? Is your faith in the realm of that willing to fight for? I hope it is. I hope it is because it should be. Our faith should be the, one, of the, one of the highest things we hold in our life, and it's very important. And we're going to see that here in this passage. And it's also one of our banner signs as you're walking out the door. What does that banner say? 1 Timothy 6.12. It says, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight. So let's pray, and we'll, we'll get into um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 11 through 21. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Father, that it's going to challenge us this morning to flee, follow, and fight. And then you're going to give instructions to those who are wealthy. So, Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us, help us to deepen our understanding of you and deepen our relationship with you. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. Amen. Okay, 1 Timothy chapter 6, take a look at verse 11. He says, But flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Now, the first thing I want you to see in this, in this, this, this sticks out in this verse is the title he gives to Timothy in verse 11. He says, uh, you man of God. If you have the King James, it says, O man of God. Oh, man of God. Why is Paul using this? This is nowhere else. This is not found anywhere else in the New Testament. But he's given this title to um, Timothy here. This is an Old Testament title that was given to, you ready for this? Moses. It was given to David. It was given to Samuel in Deuteronomy 33.1, Nehemiah 12.24, and 1 Samuel 9.6. This title was given to great men of the faith. And now Paul is saying to Timothy, it's time to step up. It's time to step up to the plate. It's time to step up to the plate and run with the big dogs. Run with Moses, Elijah. Run with the, 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 the heroes of old that were great. You and I can do that. You and I can do that. We can be so sold out and committed to the Lord Jesus Christ that we can run the race just like they ran the race. Just like they were committed to stepping up. So he's, he's using this title here to say, Timothy, it's, it's showtime. It's time for you to step up and be a man of God like the men of old and serve the Lord wholeheartedly. And notice he says there in verse 11, he says, but flee, verse 11 opens up, but flee from these things. That word flee, you know what it means? It means to run. It means to run. It means to depart. It means to, to leave behind. What are the things that he's telling him to leave behind here? If you go back to verses 9 and 10 of this same chapter in context here, he's telling him to leave behind the love of money, to leave behind greed. You know, that's one thing that brings many men and women to ruins is when they spend their life pursuing the almighty dollar. And we can't be that way as Christians we have to spend our life pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. 
you know, let, let money serve our purposes, not us serve its purposes. No, in other words, we're not mastered by money, but uh, money is mastered by us using God's wisdom to control and use our money. So greed. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, he says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. We, never, we do not judge God's blessings on, on a person's life by how much money. That's, that's wrong. That's wrong. You know, we, we judge God's blessings on our life by what he's doing in our life and propelling us forward in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We, we judge God's work in our life by the fruit of the Christian life and how we're taking care of other people and treating others and loving our wives and, and loving our families. And those are the things that we judge our Christianity by. Also, um, going back in context of this chapter, the things he's saying to flee from, the other one is false teaching. False teaching. And that goes back to um, verse 3, where he says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, <clears throat> with those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrines conforming to godliness, you know, we leave, we leave behind false teaching and we hold to sound biblical doctrine because this is the word of God. The Holy Spirit has given us this book and it, it is the truth. Second Corinthians 38, uh, Paul says, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. John chapter 17, Jesus said, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth, the word of God. And, and, and we leave behind false teachings and we hold firmly to what Scripture teaches. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, we also see another flee. And that flee is we flee from sexual immorality. We flee from sexual immorality. Uh, sexual immorality has no place in the life of the believer. Now, sometimes Christians suffer. I mean, not suffer. Sometimes Christians um, have difficulty with their sexual purity. And what they need to do is bring it to the throne of grace, submit it to the Lord, and let the Lord change them and transform them. It's called, the Bible calls it sanctification. But, it, but, but a Christian is moving away from sexual immorality and, and, and moving towards um, sexual purity. So we, we flee from sexual immorality. If we find ourselves in a tempting situation or in a compromising situation, what should we do? It says right there, flee. Flee, run. Second, the next one is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, where Paul instructs us to um, flee from idolatry. Flee from idolatry. Now, is anybody here bowing down to a golden calf? I don't think so. That's something we don't see today. But idolatry is when we place anything before Christ. It, it, it could be a car. It could be a home. It could be money. It could be a family member. It's when we, we place something's value any of those categories we place that above christ that is idolatry he is he is meant to be first in our life and we're meant to worship him and not worship the things around us and then later on we're going to see here in a couple weeks in second timothy chapter 2 verse 22 um, paul instructs us to flee from youthful lust to flee from youthful lust you know th this was one of those things that the Lord worked mightily in my life, but I had difficulties and challenges. Coming out of an ungodly life and into the Christian life, there was a lot of stuff from the past. There was a lot of baggage and a lot of things and a lot of connections I had that I had to flee from. I had to, I had to leave and depart because if I knew if I was around those things and around those people, I knew eventually I would fall. 
So we're called to flee from anything, anything that pulls us away from pure devotion to Christ. God wants you completely devoted to him and completely devoted to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if anything competes with that, we need to leave it behind. Amen? So that's the first thing that um, he tells us here in the word, is we are to flee. And then look at verse 11. We're, we're spending a little bit of time here. In verse 11, the next one it says, uh, the NASB says, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. If you have a King James Version, um, the, the, the word is used as follow. And that's where I get the second word from. We flee, then we follow. We follow these things. When, when it says we follow these things, it means we, we go wholeheartedly. We go wholeheartedly as a Christian after these things. Make these things a priority in our life. Let's look at them. I got them in three categories. The, the first category is righteousness and godliness. Righteousness and godliness. What's he talking about there, Pastor David? He's talking about holy living. Holy living. He's talking about obedience. When we, when we say, Lord, um, I want to obey you. I want to obey your precepts. I, I want to obey your word. I want your Holy Spirit to come down and conform me and change my heart and produce godliness in me. We don't do it in a legalistic way, like we're f- forcing our flesh to do something that we're wrestling with, but we ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, please come and change my heart so that, that the Holy Spirit's power and strength enables us to turn away from those things and turn to godliness and righteousness. That word righteousness simply means, in layman's term, a right standing with God. A right standing with God. Now, we don't pursue righteousness in the sense that we're, we're not righteous. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the righteousness, the complete righteousness of God that is in Christ Jesus. But we still, we pursue him. We go after him in, in, in our walk with him. The second category there, uh, we pursue faith and love. We pursue faith and love. Uh, pursue means that to, to believe in God. Uh, pursue faith means to believe in God. Have faith in who he is. Believe in his word. Have faith, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. But we also, it says there, we are to love. It means that we, we love the Lord. We have a general heartfelt affection towards the Lord. But also on top of that, pursuing the Lord, is we love one another. We love one another. You know, we are here to help each other. We are here to love one another. We are here to encourage one another. That's part of this pursuing. And then the third category, if you look there in verse 11, he says, perseverance and gentleness. This, this brings to mind one of my favorite sayings that the Holy Spirit constantly reminds me of when I'm going through difficult times. And a lot of times I'll remind my brothers of, and that is this, stay the course, persevere, persevere, stay the course, weather the storm, you'll come out stronger on the other side. Uh, perseverance means patience, means being patient, waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord for his answer, for his work in your life. And, and also, when you put perseverance and gentleness together, I believe what you have here is a kind-hearted person. A kind-hearted person. You know, we're meant to be kind. 
and not be a jerk. But we're meant to be loving and caring. And that's what this perseverance, this patience, and this gentleness, it produces. It produces a person that's kind-hearted and the person that stays the course. And then the third, the third um, from my sermon title, the, the fight, is look at verse 12. Verse 12, he says, fight the good fight of faith. The Christian life, my friend, is a fight. It is a fight. You're, you're in a fight at two angles. First, you're in a fight against your sinful nature. You know, unfortunately, as believers, we still have this sinful nature in us that desires to do the wrong thing. And what do we do when the sinful nature comes to us? Or this, not comes to us, the sinful nature in us tempts us. What do we do? We need to yield to the Holy Spirit. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit and say, Lord, help me in this area. Help me overcome the temptations of my flesh and have victory in this area. So there's this internal fight. But there's also an external fight in the heavenly places against the forces of darkness. There, there is a fight, my friend, that if you don't, that, that, that this real, there's a fight against you. There's a fight against your Christian faith. There's a fight against you in your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the powers and against the world forces of this darkness and against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. When we walk outside, we see this beautiful blue sky and these white clouds and the sun, and we see the universe at night, and it's all beautiful. But beyond this physical realm, there's a spiritual realm, and there's a war taking place, a war taking place, spiritually speaking, that, that we're all involved in. And there's a war taking place by, by Satan and demons that war against believers. And their goal is to drag us away from Christ. Their goal is to drag us away from Christ, drag us away from church, and, and pull us away from the things of the Lord. And that's why we, you and I, we got to fight the good fight. we got to put on the boxing gloves. we got to put on the whole armor of God. And, we, and you can win. You can win the fight. No matter what you're facing, no matter what struggle, no matter what you're wrestling in, you can win the fight. Why? Because Jesus won it. He won it at the cross. And he, he won it through his resurrection from the dead. And by your faith and your belief and your trust in him, you can win the fight. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Hebrews 13, 8 says, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So be encouraged. If you're in the fight, you can win. And a lot of times I have believers come up to me and say, oh, Pastor David, I'm struggling in this area. And, and, and I'll ask them, uh, are you in the fight? Are, are you wrestling with it? Are you waging war? You may be winning some battles. You may be losing some battles. But at least are you fighting against it? And they'll be like, well, yes, I am. I'm like, well, welcome to the fight. Welcome to the fight. It's a fight. And verse 12 continues. He says, look at there, verse 12. He says, take hold of eternal life to which you were called. And you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. You know, I believe it's important that not daily, weekly, or monthly, or or quarterly, but there needs to be a season in our life where we take inventory of our faith. You know that? We, not, not constantly questioning ourselves, but we need to, once a year, every, 
every, every, every so often. We need to take inventory of our faith. You know, this is something every believer should do. We should examine ourselves. And we ask, have to ask ourselves, does what we believe line up with Scripture? Because it's a slow fade. It's a slow fade, especially if you're not staying in the Word. But we need to take hold of eternal life. We, you know, in other words, we need to examine ourselves and make sure that, that we're abiding in what the Scripture says, that we're firmly holding to the doctrines that the Bible says is important. The virgin birth, his death on the cross, substitutionary atonement, his resurrection from the dead, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the inerrancy and the authority of Scripture. We need to make sure we're holding on to these things. And that's how we're, we're taking hold of eternal life, is, is making sure that our heart that our heart is in the right place. I've gone through seasons of my life where I've started examining things and looking like, okay, is what I'm believing, is it biblical? Can I find it in the Bible? And as long as I can find it in Scripture, then, then I'm good. You know, what pulls us away from this is, is religion and, and tradition. But we, but we need to do a good inventory. And then he says there, and you made the good confession in the presence of, of many witnesses, you know, I have to ask myself, I asked myself, you asked yourself, is, is your good, con- how is your, your confession? How is your confession of faith? Is it solid? Is it solid and built firmly on God's word? That's a good confession. A good confession is, is built on what scripture says. And going back to what we were talking about, um, fighting, are you willing to stand for what you believe? Are you willing to stand for what you believe? Are, are you willing to fight? I believe that's where Paul is going here in these final closing words to, um, to Timothy. So that, there, there you have it. The, the man of God or woman of God. The scripture calls you to, to flee. Flee, f- flee from uh, the old ways of life, greed, false teaching, immorality, idolatry, youthful lust. We're to pursue, we're to follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, and love. And then we're to fight the good fight. We're to fight the good fight. Let's continue verse 13. Now, if you notice back in uh, verse 12, it talked about our good confession. Now, Paul is going to turn the attention to Jesus' good confession. Look at verse 13. He says, I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Now he's talking about Jesus. In his earthly ministry, the, the, the good confession. Well, what was the good confession that Christ made? What was the good confession that Christ made? It's found in John chapter 18, verse 33 through 37. You don't have to turn there. We have some slides to show you, unless you would like to turn there. But in John 18... Verses 33 through 37, this talks about Christ's good confession that Paul's referring to here. He says, Therefore Pilate entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Are you saying this of your own initiative, or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Verse 37. 
Therefore, Pilate said to him, So, you are a king. He says it in a questionable format. And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify of the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Going back to my first question, does our confession line up with Christ's confession? Do we testify to the truth or do we compromise when there's outside pressure coming in? You know, when there's world pressure coming in and the biblical answer may not be popular or may not be acceptable in the culture. Do we testify to the truth or do we compromise? I want you to think about it. Go, go with me for a minute. You've all seen the Passion. You've all read the, the Gospels. Think about the intense pressure that Christ was under. He was under immense pressure. He had been scourged. He had been beaten. He had no sleep. He stood before uh, four trials. And what does he say to him? I mean, Pilate says there in verse 37, So, are you a king? And Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For I have been born. Over this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. And everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. And then if you go back and you look at this passage, the very next verse, which I don't have, uh, Pilate goes postmodern, 2019 postmodern on Jesus. And what does he say? What is truth? What is truth? That's what the world is asking today. What is truth? We know what Jesus said in John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life. And Paul said, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. That's, it's, it's, it's in those moments where our faith is challenged and our faith is tested, that our faith has the opportunity to grow, to grow and be strengthened. Your faith, my faith, our faith, is refined by pressure. Listen to what Peter said in 1 Peter 1.7. He says, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold when it's perishable, even though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. A true faith is a true faith once it's been tested and it's gone through the fire and you you make a stand. Your knees may be knocking, you may have petty, uh, sweaty palms, it may be nervous times, but stand for the truth. Stand for the truth. And when you get through that fiery trial, your faith will be stronger. It will be stronger. He says in uh, verse 14, Paul says to Timothy, he says, keep this commandment without stain or reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's basically saying, hey, Timothy, and he's saying to us today through the inspired word, hey, stay the course, fight the good fight, Christ will return. One day, if you're in the throes of the battle, uh, there is a reward at the end that when Christ will split that eastern sky and he will come again, and we call it the rapture of the church. It says he will appear again uh, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, the parousia, the, the Lord coming back, verse 14. This, you can read more about that in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18, where the apostle describes the uh, future rapture of the church. Let's, let's continue in verse 15. I want you to keep in mind as we read these verses, everything that we've talked about, especially about um, Pilate's conversation with Jesus. 
and, and the pressure that was mounting there. Uh, so let's read verse 15. It says, Which he will bring about at the proper time, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. If you look at the verse, end of verse 14, whose name is there? Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 15, look at what Paul is attributing to Jesus. He says, which he, will, he, Jesus, will bring about at the proper time. He says, he is the blessed and only sovereign. He's talking about Jesus, our Messiah, our Lord, who walked the face of this earth. He has, that, that word blessed and only sovereign means he has all power and he has all strength. He rules the universe. Jesus, our Jesus. He rules the solar systems, the galaxies, everything there is in the universe. He controls and rules over everything in every molecular structure within our bodies. He is the sovereign ruler over everything. He is the blessed and only sovereign. Jesus, him and his throne is the highest throne. There is no higher throne than the throne of Jesus because he's exalted at the right hand of the Father and he is the sovereign Lord over everything. And then, and then um, he says there in verse 15, says that he calls Jesus, what he said, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We see this title again in the book of Revelations. But this is very important that um, Paul is referencing Jesus here as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords because Christianity wasn't fully accepted in the first century. It was a very difficult and a very trying time for Christianity in their growth. There was one Lord in the land. And who was that? Caesar. That was Caesar, was the, his Caesar in the mind of the people was sovereign. I want to read to you Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that many of us know is part of the Romans road. Uh, Romans 10, 9, the way of salvation says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, we all know that verse. Most of us have it memorized. But I want you to think about how, how and when it was written. It was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome. And to say this uh, could, be a, could, be, could be the death, could be your death. Because back then, there was only one Lord, there was only one master, and that was Caesar. And when, and when we confess, when you and I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, that we, we, we confess that he rules supremely above all earthly kings. This could be one of the most, you ready for this? This could be one of the most political statements in the Bible when you consider who it was written to in the first century. Because in their eyes, the, the eyes of the common people of the, of the ancient Roman world, there was one Lord and his name was Caesar. And to defy that was to defy the government. And you could lose your life for that. So here you have Apostle Paul in the Roman prison. You have the church at Rome. And he's telling them, no, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus says Lord, not Caesar's Lord, but Jesus' Lord. You know, our allegiance to Jesus Christ is above all. Is above all governors, presidents, politics, leaders. Our allegiance as a Christian is to him first. 
We love our country. We support our country. We support our presidents. We support our leaders. We love our leaders. We pray for them. But ultimately, our ultimate allegiance in who we obey and who we believe does not fall into the realm of politics or government, but it falls into the spiritual realm of God, of of the Lord, of the Lord. That's what we say. When you say, uh, okay, I believe in my heart, God raised me from the dead. I believe in the resurrection. I I, I believe in his death on the cross and my sins are forgiven and he gives us his Holy Spirit. But when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, you're saying that he is supreme. He is the supreme ruler. It's not like, well, this is my spiritual life and this is my material life and my material life is different from my spiritual life. No, that's not how it worked in the first century. When this was written, no, Jesus is Lord of your life. Jesus is Lord of everything. That was what was being conveyed to these Christians at Rome when Paul wrote this. And now, and now Timothy's here in um, 1 Timothy chapter 6 saying that Jesus is the, he is the blessed and only sovereign. Those were titles given to Caesar. And Paul's like, no, it's not for him no more. It's for King Jesus. And now, and now it gives him the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I mean, he rules above all. He rules and reigns. Uh, verse 16, verse 16 continues. He says, um, who alone, man, this was good. Oh, man, this is really, if you study this, and it's deep, and it's rich, and it's mind-blowing. Who alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see? First off, we have to identify, make sure we understand, you understand this. He's talking about Jesus. The, the context of the chapter, he's talking about King Jesus. And the first thing he says here, he possesses immortality. In other words, he's eternal. Death will never face our Lord because the Father raised him from the dead. He dwells. Death will never affect him because he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And then I love this this phrase in verse 16. He dwells in unapproachable light. He dwells in unapproachable light. You know, God is transcendent. In other words, the Lord Jesus Christ and, and the Father... They're not on some distant planet, okay? They're not on some planet out there floating out in deep outer space. They are, what the scripture says, they are, they are beyond the universe. They are beyond the universe. The scripture calls this place eternity. Eternity. You know, it's like when you walk outside, you know, it says there, he dwells in unapproachable light. So when you go outside, does anybody ever look up in the sky and see this bright, unapproachable light? Unless you're looking directly at the sun? No. It's it's this spiritual, heavenly, beyond the universe, into eternity place that God dwells, that that, that God is. You know, I I hear people talk about, you know, having near-death experiences. And what what do a lot of people talk about? Seeing a light. Hey, it's biblical. James says over in the book of James, he says, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly light. So he's, he's not part of creation. He, he, he's over creation, and he's sovereign over every single part of creation. Jesus says he dwells in unapproachable light. I remember back in the 60s, um, the late 60s, I forgot their names. But I have read the story several times. But there was an astronaut who went into outer space, and he circled the moon. And uh, he came back, 
and he jokingly said, um, well, went up to the heavens, I didn't see God. And then uh, I believe it was Adrian Rogers said on the next Sunday, yeah, you didn't, and Adrian Rogers passed away, he was a preacher in Tennessee. Uh, I believe it was Adrian Rogers said that, uh, yeah, you didn't see God, but I, I guarantee if you would have stepped out of that suit, you would have. <laughs> you would have, yeah, you didn't see him up in the physical universe, but if you would have stepped out of that suit, you would have saw your maker and your creator. And, there, and here we have here Paul in verse 16. He dwells in unapproachable light. And it says there, look at the very end of verse 16, whom no man has seen or can see. You can't see God with your physical eyes. But when you leave that body, you know, people talk about having those out-of-body experiences where your soul, your spirit leaves the body. You will see the Lord. You will see the Lord in all his glory. But he's transcendent. And then it, look at, I, I just want to spend some time here because it's very important. Verse 16, the end of verse 16, he says there, To him be honor and eternal dominion. I'm talking about Jesus. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. The majesty of man, the majesty of man, it fades in comparison to the glory of Jesus. Uh, the richest, smartest, most influential person on earth, on earth, they are midgets compared to King Jesus. Think about, go, go in your mind, I want you to think about the smartest human you've ever known. Maybe the smartest philosopher, the smartest uh, scientist. Who, who comes to your mind? You know, there's some really smart guys out there with, with 10 PhD symbols behind their name. There's some really, really smart folks. Find the one at the top. He knows that individual that's coming to your mind, that's coming to my mind, he knows nothing compared to Jesus. He knows nothing compared to Jesus. The point of verse 16 here is that um, no one is greater than Yeshua, our Messiah, Jesus, our Lord. No one, they all pale in comparison. <laughs> they're all just little midgets. They're, they're little guys compared to, to him upon his throne. Amen? Amen. That's our Jesus. That's the Jesus that we serve. That's the Jesus of the New Testament that Paul's talking about here in 1 Timothy. Now, we're going to finish up the book here. We're going to look at verses um, 17 through 21. And um, basically, if you, were, if you were captioning this passage, I don't know if it's captioned or not in your, in your Bible, but this is instructions to the wealthy. This is instructions to those who have lots of wealth. And let me just say off the get-go, there is nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with being wealthy. If you are blessed financially, then praise the Lord. If you have lots of money and, and lots of assets, then that's awesome, man. Rock on. But here's the deal. Keep it in perspective. Keep it in perspective in, in your Christian walk that, 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 you, that you understand that, that all your wealth and, and all your finances and everything you have is a gift from the Lord, is a gift from him. Keep it in perspective. So let's take a look at it. He's going to give a bunch of bullet comments here to uh, people that are, that are wealthy that were there at the church at, um, at Ephesus that Timothy was the pastor of. He says in verse 17, Instruct those who are rich in this present world 
not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Tells him two things there in verse 17. One, the first thing he says there, he says, do not be conceited. In other words, you got wealth, praise the Lord, but don't let it go to your head. Don't let it go to your head. Don't elevate yourself above other people. Stay humble. Stay thankful. Say, thank you, Lord, for all this wealth that you've given me. And, and, and don't let it go to your head. Don't, don't be conceited. Don't look down on people who don't have um, wealth. And then he also says there in verse 17, he says, or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches. Uh, wealthy people need to understand, man, as fast as you made it, as fast as it can disappear. And that's, 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 a, that's the danger or, or the caution that people need to use. That just as I've seen people, I, I, I read stories all the time about baseball players and football players who go out and make millions and millions of dollars. And you're like, wow, what could I do with a million dollars? And then you, you read two or three years later, they're filing bankruptcy because they didn't use good, good choices. They didn't make wise decisions. So he says, don't fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Fix your hope on God, he says there. Fix your hope on the Lord and be thankful for what he's given you financially. Verse 18, he says, instruct them to do good and to be rich in good works and to be generous and ready to share. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So this is for all Christians. This is for all believers, no matter what your status is. We need to be rich in good works. Rich in good works towards people in our community, people in the church, uh, people that are going through difficult times. We need to be rich in good works. That's, what, that's what's approving, and that's what God would have us to do and to be generous and be and, and to be ready to share maybe God's blessing you with an over and abundance so you could help your next door neighbor or help someone in your family who's who's, who's suffering and having a difficult time maybe that's why God has given you so much praise the Lord for it and help them out verse 19 uh, he says storing up for themselves the treasures of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. I love the phrase there at the, at the end of verse 19. He, 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 he's been talking about money. He's been talking about wealth. He's been talking about finances. But he says life indeed, uh, real life, I would like to call it, is serving Christ. It's serving Christ and, and, and not money, not the almighty dollar. It, it plunges people into ruins if it's not managed wisely. But we serve Christ and then we... we Go out, we work hard, make money, make lots of money if you want to. Make as much money as you're able to with, with what you're doing in your life. But be a good steward. Be a good steward of, of your finances and taking care of your family and paying the bills and taking care of the kids and, and supporting ministries. Um, that's real life. Life indeed is not being... Um, controlled by our money that's not a it's not a fun place to be i've been there I, I i've been there i think it was like around 2004 or 2005 me and irene went through dave ramsey's financial peace class and we had a lot of debt but we went through his financial peace class got on the blow system the budget system and 10 years later man we were doing great financially 
because we used wisdom with our finances, and it feels great not to be controlled by money. Let's finish it up. Verse 20. Verse 20. The, and, and, and remember earlier in this text, he says, O man of God, if you have the King James. Now look at the beginning of verse 20. In the NASB, it says, O Timothy. O Timothy. You know, he's not just saying Timothy or my beloved brother. He's saying, oh, Timothy. This is like a sacred charge to Timothy. That, man, Timothy, please take these things to heart. Please take what I'm writing to you in this letter. Take it to Ephesus and instruct the believers there in these things. And the first one he says there, well, the whole book is what he's saying to teach him. But in verse 20, he says, guard what has been entrusted to you. In other words, what, what um, is being said in this epistle, and as Timothy goes there, and for us today, he's saying, protect and defend these things. Protect and defend what you've learned in the word of God. And that goes back to that fight. You know, we stand firm on scripture. We stand firm on what the, on, on what the word says, on, on clear biblical principles but we protect them and we defend them by studying them like we're doing now. And then he says, avoiding worldly and empty chatter and the opposing arguments of what is falsely called knowledge. Uh, it says avoiding. It says we are to avoid these things. That word avoid, it means to, to turn away from. And he's talking about empty chatter, opposing arguments, and what is falsely called knowledge. You know, we turn away, as Christians, we turn away from false religions. We turn away from false religions that doesn't line up with the scripture. We turn away from, you ready for this? Philosophical views. Philosophical views that oppose the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that oppose who he is. We, 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 we avoid, we turn away from these. They're, they're, and they are what they are. They're empty chatter. They're opposing arguments. And some people like to puff themselves up and call it knowledge. You know, uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophies, which depend on human tradition rather than on Christ. Please go home and look at that verse. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. In a day and age where everybody's headstrong, that's a verse for us to understand and to help us guard our hearts and guard our minds as, as we um, serve the Lord and, and we're faithful to his word. So that's what I present to you this morning. We've, we finished 1 Timothy. We have finished 1 Timothy. Now I just want to encourage each and every one of you guys, man, go out and live for him and flee. Flee from sexual immorality, idolatry, youthful lust. Follow, follow wholeheartedly after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And then finally, understand this, my friend. You're in a fight. You're in a fight. You're in a fight for your faith. You're in a fight for your family. You're, you're in a fight. Living the Christian life is like, you know, all the, all, the, all the fish are swimming downstream, going down the river. That's how we all were in the world. And then when you became a Christian, you, you, know, you turned for Christ, you started going the other way. And it can be difficult at times, but you can win the fight because Jesus has won the fight. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.
Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you this morning for instructing us and teaching us from from 1 Timothy chapter 6. And um, Father, help us to do these things. Help us to treasure these words in our heart, Lord. Your word has stood the test of time for 2,000 years. You uphold us, you sustain us by it, and you teach us by it. Lord, let us submit our life and our, and our walk to these things. And let us go out and live for you, for your honor and your glory. Lord, help us not to be filled with religion or filled with tradition, but to be filled by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen.